The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Steelers making moves. Tom Bradley in as the new defensive backs coach. And Carl Dunbar in as the new defensive line coach. Art Rooney II spoke to media members yesterday. Joe Rudder, one of them, from the Trib. He joins me now on the Crowley Show. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Yeah, first time I've been on your show. I'm, uh, it's a huge honor in my uh, timeline of life. My God, you must live a sad life, Joe. <laughs> well, I've, I've, never, I've never denied that, that's for sure. Well, we're happy to have you on. You were in the room yesterday. What went down? What stuck out to you most? The most was that um, he seemed to really get behind the job Mike Tomlin did and harped on several times the fact that they won 13 games and how hard it is to win 13 games in the NFL and put that way above any possible distractions or things that were set off the field and really threw his support behind Mike Tomlin in the face of all the criticism he's received since the playoff loss. I think Mike Tomlin deserves criticism for the loss. I think that you can nitpick some things that Mike Tomlin's done in his career, certainly, but he should not be fired. What do oh, no. you, what, what is what is your take on the distractions for the Steelers and their impact on everything that transpired this season? I don't think they had a, a big impact. I, you know, I, I think there were some annoyances that that happened and contribute to this. I mean, it seems like every week there was something we were. I mean, it's great for people in my business. A lot of things to write about, but I don't know how much they affected the team because they did win 13 games and get a first round bye. And um, I don't think it contributed to anything to the loss. You know, they fell down 28 to seven. You know, in the first half, and that had a lot to do with it. Um, but you know, I mean, he does come under some scrutiny because he, maybe he could have nipped some of those things in the bud or gotten more, you know, been more of a disciplinarian with his players and maybe stopped some of those things. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think they were that big of a deal. Joe Ryder, TribLive.com, joining me here on the Crowley Show. I do think the Steelers needed a little bit of a shakeup, and it looks like they're doing that uh, in terms of the coaching staff. Uh, they bring in a new, well, not really bring in a new, but they fire the offensive coordinator and they promote from within there. Um, they change things up with a couple of the assistant coaches on the defensive side. Is that the right move for Pittsburgh? I would say so. I mean, you know, I don't think Todd Haley really did anything. If you look at the, you know, the points production in the second half and you know some of the numbers they put up, he didn't do anything really to warrant not having his contract renewed, but then, you know, I was looking at things today like red zone efficiency, and tonight his numbers have never really been that good as far as getting touchdowns inside the red zone, and Art Rooney mentioned that's one of the areas they need to improve upon. So you could see maybe reasons why they made that move. And on the defensive side, you know, moving John Mitchell kind of into a um, – more of a supervisory role instead of a hands-on coach will probably benefit them. And, you know, they whether Cornell Lake was forced out or actually did resign, you know, they acted quickly. They had somebody in mind to replace him with, obviously, waiting less than a day to bring Tom Bradley in. So, yeah, I think there were some changes that needed to be made, and I think some of these came from above Mike Tomlin. What gives you the idea that they came from above Mike Tomlin? Well, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, you know, it, it seemed to indicate that they went a, a period of time without making some of these changes. Um, you know, the, the Haley move was made rather quickly, and you knew Richard Mann was going to retire. But And I think, you know, that, that 
that uh, Randy, the Randy Fickner and um, the new wide receivers coach were people that you know he felt comfortable with, and I'm sure Tomlin felt comfortable with Carl Dunbar coming in today. But I have a feeling that maybe he was told to you know bring somebody in to kind of move John Mitchell along to the supervisory type of role. And you know the Cornell Lake decision I think might have been above him too. The fact that they had Tom Bradley there, whose brother is Jim Bradley, the team orthopedist. Um, you know, not saying he's not a capable coach, but he's known to the team. He's been around. He's known the Rooney's for a long time. I'm sure they uh, highly recommended Tomlin to hire him. Yeah, for me, it's more about what they've done than who they've brought in. I can't grade Tom Bradley on whether or not he's going to be a good defensive backs coach. You know what I mean? I think it was a yeah. good move for them to bring some new blood in. And you don't want to change up too much because... As Art Rooney II said yesterday, Ben Roethlisberger wants to extend his contract a little bit. So I think you got to win now. And the best way to win now, to me, isn't changing up too much, but changing up enough. Yeah, and they didn't make too many. You know, the, the, they, they eased in uh, Ben's buddy, Randy Fickner, who's, you know, he's been an offensive coordinator in the college ranks before. So there's very minimal change there. They have a, a new wide receiver coach, but they knew that was going to be coming since Richard Mann decided in the summer he wasn't coming back after this season. So, yeah, on offense, they tried to keep it as cohesive as possible. But I think on defense, maybe where they needed to uh, shape, shape some things up here, especially after the way the defense played toward the end of the season. Art Rooney II said that they're trying to get stuff done with Le'Veon Bell. Do you anticipate that getting done? I think they're going to really try hard. Um, it's going to be... Really depend, I guess, on whether Le'Veon Bell really believes he's going to get 15 or so million or more a season, which I don't think the Steelers are going to want to pay him, and I don't think really they probably should pay him that kind of money. But if they can come to some kind of agreement, maybe that has a low salary cap hit in the uh, first year or two, and then you know uh, is loaded maybe more with um, uh, signing bonus money, maybe they can get something done. But uh, you know, Art Rooney wouldn't really address. Um, whether they would be committed to putting the franchise tag on him. But, uh, so I, I think he's leaving room to get, you know, try as hard as he can to get some kind of deal done. Um, but I'm not still, I'm still not certain whether they will put the tag on him or not because they have a lot of needs elsewhere on defense that they could use that money for. Yeah, it's interesting, certainly. I, I think he's one of the best players in the league, no question about it. And, you want to keep that guy around, but if you don't, then it does give them some financial flexibility, which is, of course, a term that people here in Pittsburgh are very familiar with. Joe Rudder of the Trib joining me here on the Crowley Show. Here's my take on the Le'Veon situation. A lot of people have said you can bring in running backs and make it a running back by committee, and I don't think it's a terrible idea because you could then spend that money on defense. But Ben Roethlisberger's been a far better these last couple of years when Le'Veon Bell has started to get going. Uh, when the Steelers won eight in a row two years ago, it was 147 yards a game for Le'Veon Bell. When the Steelers were 3-2 and two this year, they started giving it to Le'Veon a lot more, 126 yards per game, and Ben Roethlisberger was better both times. If you bring in a running back by committee, maybe it's successful, but it's a maybe. If Le'Veon Bell's here, I think you know what you're going to get. Yeah, you do. And the thing about the running back by committee, I mean, you've... <laughs> You got it. Usually, that means you got a guy that can catch the ball better than the other guy who runs the ball better. And when one's in the game, you kind of know what he's going to do. Le'Veon Bell, you really weren't sure because he did both both areas very well. Um, you know, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do in that regards because he was a safety net catching a lot of checkdowns from Ben Roethlisberger, which you know 
helped him avoid a lot of sacks as well. So, you know, they do have a big decision. And, you know, if they are committed to trying to bring him back, they're probably going to have to restructure some other contracts as well because they really are just tied up against the salary cap. Joe Rutter joining me here on the Crowley Show. Uh, anything else that stood out to you uh, in terms of the conversation that you guys had with Art Rooney II? Uh, James Harrison talk kind of got me a little bit. Yeah, he uh, Art Rooney said that you know blame probably could be put on both sides for that, and uh, he didn't want to get into the specifics of why they didn't just you know do what they had been doing all season and just keep him inactive, which would have been the smart thing to do because you know it turns out he does go to another team, and um, but you know I, I guess maybe there was more that happened behind the scenes that we don't know about that led to James Harrison wanting out so badly and them agreeing to it. Um, you know he did seem a little remorseful that. It played out that way. I, you know, he, he even said last year he was really hoping James would come back and finish his career with the Steelers, um, but <laughs> that's not obviously going to happen now. Do you get the sense that Mike Mitchell's going to be back? I just don't. And it's, I mean, he didn't, his play was okay last year. I don't think it was great, but he didn't provide the kind of, uh, you know, you know, splash as Mike Tomlin likes to call it from a safety. And he makes a, he, he's going to count sizably against the cap next year. I think it's, might be seven, seven or so, eight million, and he has a five million dollar base. So I just think they, I think they're better off trying to go in a different direction, you know, maybe addressing that um, when the draft comes around, or maybe trying to get a low cost free agent to come in. Um, I, you know, they could also move Sean Davis over there, and um, you know, try to get somebody else at strong safety. I, I just, you know, for all he. For all his talk he did, he really didn't back it up as much as I thought he did, and he comes at a pretty big cost. I agree 100%. And I've been a big Mike Mitchell defender, actually, over the last couple of years, but I thought this was by far the worst year he's had in Pittsburgh, and I think it just so happened to coincide with the year that he was also the loudest here in Pittsburgh, which, of course, is not a good look. Uh, I suppose the Steelers are maybe done with all their moving and shaking from an assistant coach standpoint. I I had thought maybe Joey Porter would get moved out. I don't know if there's still time to do that, but that's the guy that, as much as I like him personally, and I do, I kind of wanted to see him move on, uh, given the way that things happen with Jarvis Jones and Bud Dupree probably hasn't moved or improved as much uh, in this period of time as they would have liked. Well, yeah, the, the you know the, the spotlight is definitely on him now to see whether they bring him back. And I, I don't know yet whether they're done or not. You know, they kind of did these real quick. There's nothing to say that they couldn't you know do more in the next few days. But uh, it, it would seem to be that maybe they are done. But yeah, the, the, you, know, you want to see more production from the outside linebackers. I mean, they got so much from Cam Hayward and, and got from the inside guys, which is Gary Olsaski's department. That really the you know the Bud Dupree development and um, you know, the Jarvis Jones, you know, experiment just went so badly that, you know, sooner or later it's going to fall on him. I talked earlier in the show about a mock draft that I had seen that had the Steelers picking a quarterback, and I think that's nonsense now. Uh, as long as the Steelers are going to have Ben Roethlisberger for the next three years, at least that's what they want, then why try to draft Ben Roethlisberger's replacement? Why not go all in and try to win when you've got your franchise quarterback? Yeah, there's no need now. If he wants to play two, three more years, um, at this point, you got, um, you know, you, Landry Jones has one more year as a backup. You can keep Josh Dobbs, move him into that backup role, if, you know, if need be, and, and you're fine for the next couple of seasons. I don't think you need to really shake anything up at all. 
Really appreciate the time, Joe, as always, man. Thank you so much. And I guess maybe not as always, because we haven't done it before on the show, which I didn't really realize. Uh, maybe I'll see you up there at the Combine. Well, see, if we do it again at some point, even at the Combine or whenever, then you can say, as always. Then There we go. Take care, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. There Bye. goes John Rudder. Joe Rudder. John Rudder is a guy I went to college with. We used to have a drink called the Royal Flush. We used to pound them. This was during the period whenever I wasn't with my wife. Catch my drift. Joe Rudder, though, good writer for TribLive.com. 412-922-2874 is the number. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Tom, do you have the audio of Jason Kelsey, the center for the Philadelphia Eagles losing his damn mind at the Super Bowl parade. Let's play that for the people right now. Philadelphia! You love the Eagles, let me get a hell yeah! You love the Philadelphia Eagles, let me get a hell yeah! I'm going to take a second to talk to you about underdogs. I know Lane and Chris just talked about this, but I don't think that it's been beat home enough. Howie Roseman, a few years ago, was relinquished all control pretty much in this organization. He was put in the side, hey, hey, he was put in the side of the building where I didn't see him for over a year. Two years ago, when they made a decision, he came out of there a different man. He came out of there with a purpose and a drive to make this possible. And I saw a different Howie Roseman, an underdog, Doug Peterson. When Doug Peterson was hired, he was rated as the worst coaching hire by a lot of freaking analysts out there in the media. This past offseason, some clown named Mike Lombardi told him that he was the least qualified head coach in the NFL. You saw a driven Doug Peterson, a man who went for it up fourth and down, went for it up fourth and down in the Super Bowl with the trick play. He wasn't playing, playing just to go mediocre. He's playing for a Super Bowl. And it don't stop with him. It does not stop with him. Jason Peters was told he was too old, didn't have it anymore. Before he got hurt, he was the best freaking tackle in the NFL. Nick Peters told he didn't have it. Stephen Wisniewski ain't good enough. Jason Kelsey's too small. Lake Johnson can't lay off the juice. Brandon Brooks has a dime. Carson Wentz didn't go to an Division One school. Nick Foles don't got it. Roy Clement's too slow. They got it anymore. Jay and Jack can't stay healthy. Tory Smith can't catch. Nelson Aguilar can't catch. Zach Gers can't block. Brett Zellick's too old. Brandon Graham was drafted too high. Vinny Curry ain't got it. Bo Allen can't fit the scheme. Michael Thomas can't fit the scheme. Nigel Bradham can't catch. Jalen Mills can't cover. Patrick Robinson can't cover. So, Philly fans are going to love that guy. And I get it. He's riling them on all up. 
That's badass. But it kind of strikes me as weird when he's going down the list there. Because I feel like he's making up these things as he's going along, and he's just insulting teammate after teammate after teammate. Who the hell cares about Jalen Mills? And this guy's talking about how he can't cover? Torrey Smith can't catch? That one's actually true. I've got a hot take as it relates to that speech that might not be popular. And you'll have to wait to hear it, because it's next on The Crowley Show. Jason Kelsey, All-Pro Center, is also a nut job. And he was the best speaker at the Philadelphia Eagles celebration today. But here's a take y'all going to hate, I bet. I don't know, sometimes I'm wrong with these things, but I bet you're going to hate it. Kelsey's going on and on and on about how the media didn't believe in them and how they got a bunch of underdogs, and they were all wearing their underdog masks, and they're all barking to the crowd, and the Philadelphia crowd... They get to stay in character. They just bark the whole time, too. Every time a team wins a championship, they pull that same exact stunt. They say the same exact things. We're closer than any team ever. Well, no, you're not. You just won the Super Bowl. You just won the Stanley Cup. You just won the World Series. So, of course, you're happy because you're winning. People always say that, Chemistry breeds winning, but I think winning breeds chemistry. It's chicken, egg, whatever. But you're going to tell me that you're closer than any team there's ever been and that you have overcome more than any team has ever overcome? Give me a break. You're no different than any other championship team. That's the reality. And every championship team feels that exact same way. This guy couldn't catch. They said he couldn't catch. Howie Roseman. They said he was not a good GM. They said Doug Peterson was the worst coach in the National Football League. Yeah, everyone has detractors. I had detractors. Still do. In high school, of course I was the most popular. That's not true. And some of the people that were douchebags back then, I still think about when I'm doing what I'm doing. I wonder what that guy's doing, and I'm sitting here talking about sports on the radio for a living. I feel like I got it pretty good. And sometimes you do think about the detractors. And yeah, it is motivation. But you know what motivates me more? Myself. Wanting to be successful. Wanting to provide for a family. The Eagles act as though they're the only underdog team ever to win a championship. Like, they're the only team ever to have their backs against the wall and claw and scratch and find their way to the Lombardi Trophy. Yo, you play both your playoff games at home. You were a pretty damn good football team. Yo, you were the number one seed in the NFC. I know you lost your quarterback, but you were the number one seed in the NFC. You played your games at home. That means you're better than the teams you're playing. I know you were underdogs in each of the games. But you were a four-point underdog to the New England Patriots at game time. They had the best quarterback to ever live. They had the best coach who ever lived. And you're only a four-point underdog 
When you've got a backup quarterback playing and you're going to pretend like it's us against the world, like nobody's giving us a chance, shut the bleep up, man. I'm all about fun. I'm all about parades. Hell, we did an entire show last year talking about the Penguins parade and who was pounding brews and why Sidney Crosby was drinking Aquafina like a dweeb and how Ole Mata passed out and got third-degree sunburns. Parades are fun. People say things. I have no problem with him saying what he said to rile the people up that he rile up, but don't act like you're special. Don't act like you're the only underdog team ever to win. Don't act like your backs were against the wall and every other team that won the championship this year wouldn't have said the exact same thing. If the Patriots would have won, they would have found a way to have been self-motivated. You would have heard Tom Brady up there, Nobody thought I could do it because I'm 40. Nobody thought I could do it when my white wide receiver got hurt at the beginning of the year. Nobody thought I could do it when they kicked my witch doctor out of the locker room. Nobody thought I could do it when I was rifting with Bill Belichick. Nobody thought I could do it after I got in a fight on the sideline with Josh McDaniels. Every team is going to find a way to motivate themselves. Minnesota would have done the same thing. Minnesota, who fell one step short, they'd have said the same things had they won. We have three quarterbacks. We've got Case Keenum. Nobody thought he could play. Hell, he got cut by Jeff Fisher. Our backs were really against the wall. If it was Los Angeles, we had a second-year quarterback, a first-year head coach. We're underdogs. Our backs are against the wall. If it was Atlanta, oh my God, we've redeemed ourselves. Nobody thought we could do it because last year we blew that lead. If it was the Steelers, nobody thought we could get over the hump, and we finally did. If it was Jacksonville, nobody thought Blake Bortles could get the job done. It's not realistic at all, too. Name any of the other teams in the AFC, because none of them actually did have a chance. Their backs literally were against the wall. Zero chance. Alex Smith, no, not happening. Their backs were against the wall. They weren't able to battle back from it. Devin, next up on the Crowley Show, 412-922-2874. Sup, man? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm trying to figure out your argument. Like, what he's saying is exactly what you're saying. I'm saying that every team ever says these things, and it loses value to me. But in a way, it's true. Because like you said, Alex Smith and Kansas City. So if they had one, you would you were just saying that Alex Smith, that dude's supposed to do it. All he's saying is like... But would the Patriots' backs have really been up against the wall? Would the Patriots really have had detractors? No, but they would have said so anyhow. When the Eagles got into the playoffs, they were there at 13-3. and They were good. They were a damn good team. They played their home games, or they played their playoff games at home. I realized that they were quote-unquote underdogs, but they were the damn one seed. Uh, he's acting as if they're the team that had to jump through the most hoops ever to win a Super Bowl, and come on. Come on. Not that. It's not that. It's just they were underdogs in every game. Come on. 
And it's just like it's just like you said about New England. Of course, they did have detractors. Like they were picked, but then it was like, oh, Brady is too old. Oh, they started going too. Well, that's oh, exactly that's third. exactly my point. Any team has battled through things all season. Like the Steelers had won, it would have been look at all of the distractions we would have battled through. And you would have, you and admit it, Adam. You would have loved that storyline. Don't, don't say you wouldn't. I would have. You would be riding it. I would have agreed with it. Hell, I said during the regular season that they battled through a bunch of distractions and did so convincingly. But all these teams that get up there and act as if they're doing something that nobody else has ever done before—it's not true. It's just not. It, it, it's true for that year, brother. It's what? It's true for that year. For what? It's true for that year. Ah, okay. For the year that it happened, it is true for that year. You know what's a really good move that I didn't realize I could use until just now? If, if someone no, <laughs> if someone's disagreeing with me, just pretend you can't hear them. That's not that's not what I did there, but I think that might be the move going forward. Thanks, Devin. I thought he was going to click on me. All right, never, man. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. I mean, Devin makes a good point. Every team that does win did have to overcome stuff, but that's kind of my point too. They've all overcome stuff. They're not the only team that has. They said Doug Peterson was the worst. They said Tom Brady was the oldest. They said Peyton Manning had a noodle for an arm. All of these things are true. But it's not the first time. You're not the only team that was able to battle your way to the top. Shut up. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Jesse Marshall coming up from The Athletic in eight minutes here to talk about the pens and the trade deadline. Phil Kessel, just a couple of points back from the league leading points. Phil Kessel is my spirit animal. I am rooting so damn hard for Phil Kessel to win the Art Ross Trophy. I would love nothing more than to see that guy lead the league in points. The way he was jettisoned out of Toronto. The way that the media treated him. Oh, no. I'm starting to sound like Jason Kelsey. But Phil Kessel's the everyman. Phil Kessel's chubby. He's talented, but he's chubby. He's awkward, he's weird, he's sometimes funny. Pierre Maguire thought he had bad breath. He's me. He's you. He's all of us. And as much as I love Sidney Crosby and as much joy as Sidney Crosby has brought me in my life, and my God, he has, as a guy who roots for the Penguins, as much as Evgeny Malkin has brought me joy in my life, I would love to see Phil Kessel stick it to his haters. I would love to see Phil Kessel succeed Because watching Phil Kessel succeed is like looking in the mirror and watching me succeed. We need to get Phil Kessel on hole 30. See if he can drop a few LBs. Then he'd really be me. Chunky, quirky, sometimes funny, weird. Get him to drop a few LBs and he's exactly me. But with a much better wrist shot and still one of the faster skaters in the National Hockey League. I've gone back and forth on this one. Penguins have a couple of goalies that could be used as trade bait. Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith. I don't want to see the Penguins trade Tristan Jari. He's off limits to me because 
Two years ago, the Penguins needed three goaltenders in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last year, they needed two. And I believe more in pedigree than I believe in a flash-in-the-pan type success, which is what I look at Casey DeSmith and think he's got going on right now. Tristan Jari's got pedigree. Matt Murray's got pedigree. Matt Murray's your guy. Tristan Jari should be your number two. If you want to move DeSmith, fine. Don't know what you'd get for him, but if you want to move him, fine. But you got to have goaltender depth when you've got a guy like Murray who might get dinged up. Off limits to me, Tristan Jari. You can trade Sprong. You can trade Aston Reese. You can trade that goaltender whose name I can't pronounce who's overseas in Finland right now. But don't touch the NHL goalie who I think has the highest upside, and that's Tristan Jari. 412-922-2874. Coming up next, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Tim Benz at 620. It's the Crowley Show. I said my last take was not going to be received pleasantly. Clint tweets, somebody didn't get their fiber pill and extra nap today. Hashtag grumpy old man radio, which is the first time I've ever been accused of that. But upon further review, maybe that was a curmudgeon old man take. Tom, was that a curmudgeon old man take? 100%. Okay. Tom is the young one here. I'm young by radio standards. Tom, younger than me. He keeps me hip. He keeps me on track. Thank you, Tom. Anytime. It is the year of excellence 2.0. Penguins all over the place. On the top of the scoring list in the National Hockey League, joining me now to discuss our buddy from the Athletic, he is Jesse Marshall. Jesse, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, let me just first say, Adam, that you don't know what it took for me to come on this show today. Uh, I had the toughest route to your show of all time. I, my phone battery was low. I got stuck in traffic. Oh, uh, no. You know, I'm just a warrior, and I'm an underdog, and uh, I can't be stopped. I so, appreciate yeah. the fact that you made it on, man. I really do. Yeah. Thank you so that much. Was like, you know, I was playing off your last segment there. I think maybe the, the joke got lost in translation. Nope, nope. Oh, oh, no, no, I got it. I got the joke. <laughs> I just got to move past it because okay, I, feel, okay, okay. I feel like that's the I feel like that's the opinion. I feel like the opinion was, Crowley, you went hot take there. Crowley, that was insane, and I think that people might be right. That's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, Jesse, I'm really rooting for Phil Kessel. I know that you're really rooting for Phil Kessel. We've had the same conversation probably four or five different times now about how we want Phil Kessel to win the scoring title. What is it about his game this year that has made him go from a really good player into this league to maybe one of the best five players in this league? Yeah, so I I, I wrote an article on The Athletic yesterday a little bit uh, discussing a little bit of this. Um, I, I was surprised. I was going back and looking at, at some of the goals that he scored, and I've been taking a look at what he's been doing in all three zones, trying to find some kind of commonality here uh, that, that might help explain that. And, and I think that the videos I showed on the Athletic Adam really break down how many goals he's created at even strength, more importantly, because we know he can score on the power play. But how many goals he's scored at even strength that have come as a result of him just being in the right place defensively, right? And it's funny to me because, you know, not that Phil Kessel has ever been a guy that bails on the defensive zone early to get up ice and, and have a breakout opportunity. I don't think he's ever really been guilty of that. Um, but it's his, I guess his engagement level, maybe we could call it. I think it's what Mike Sullivan would refer to it as. Um, I think that's what their discussion in August was about when Mike Sullivan visited him. Uh, it was just about the expectations and, and the defensive zone presence. Uh, and, and it's shocking how much – he's been able to create offense from playing good defense. 
and just being in the right area, Adam. Not necessarily, I'm not saying bodying up to someone or clearing out the sun. Not the Ian Cole type stuff, right? Uh, you know, not even maybe the, the, the Riley Sheehan type stuff of how he plays the, uh, for me, it's just been, he's coming back deeper. He's, he's respecting his assignment more. And as a result of that, the puck is finding his stick more than it did last year. And when you give Phil Kessel a clean sheet of ice and room to skate, you're not going to catch him. And I think it, his, his positioning has lent itself to him getting a couple of breaks. And the goals we broke down, he's in the defensive zone. He's minding his P's and Q's. He's on his assignment. The puck squirts out, lands on his stick. He's off to the races. And I think back to the Malkin goal against the Golden Knights the other night. That goal was 100% a result of Phil Kessel being in the defensive zone, getting a loose puck, and turning it into an odd man break. So I think we can find things on video uh, that would suggest he's paying a little bit of extra attention to detail this year. And that good defense is actually helping him find the back of the net. Is that been what he's been doing in the playoffs the last couple of years, Jesse? So, uh, probably a little bit, yeah. I don't know that that element was there last year, which might explain why you know he, he struggled to find the score sheet. I mean, obviously, you know that HBK thing was just lightning in a bottle, and that right. happens sometimes. You, you you just find something that works and you milk it uh, for all you can get until it stops working. Uh, so I think that there's a little bit of that wild card element to the 16-17 run, but I think there's you know maybe to that point some of the things we heard about Mike Sullivan and and the reason why he felt it was important to facilitate that meeting might have been that that wasn't happening in the playoffs and maybe that's why there there was a long drought for him there. Jesse Marshall, the Athletic, joining me here on the Crowley Show. Jesse, the Penguins' lines at the end of the Vegas game are the way I think that they need to be if the Penguins are going to be this devoid of depth due to the injury situation. Uh, I'm all about having Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel on different lines, but they're carrying the team right now, and I think their best chance to carry the team is if you put Kessel with Malkin and Crosby with Gensel on those top two lines until they get Hornquist and Sherry back. Yeah, I think the separation of Kessel and Malkin earlier this year was necessary because I think Evgeny Malkin is at his best and he takes initiative and shoots the puck. You know, we mentioned that, that, that the reason that Hornquist, Hagelin, and, and uh, Malkin line worked, the HGH line, uh, the, you know, the reason that line worked is because those guys open up space for Evgeny Malkin, and he can take the initiative to take the shot and to get into those open areas. And I think that separating him from Kessel was necessary because there was a period of time uh, where the deference started to fall onto Phil Kessel. You, you want to balance, right? I think that's the main point. You, you want Malkin to, to play his game, uh, but you also want Phil Kessel to be open for shooting opportunities. But I agree with you. In the situation that they're in now and for the foreseeable future until they, they kind of get a little bit more healthy at the forward position, that's probably the way you'll see it continue. Um, and given Gensel a, a look on Crosby's line kind of gives that line a little bit more juice, uh, you, you, you get the Malkin and Kessel connection, which was absolutely phenomenal uh, for the second half of that, that Golden Knights game. So I would expect to see more of the same. Uh, and I think the Penguins are going to uh, ride uh, their stars while their stars are hot. Um, they're the reason that they're 11 and, and, and four in their last 15. And I, I think that Sullivan's just going to, again, milk that for everything it's worth. I don't care who's healthy, Jesse. Ian Cole's got to be in the lineup. Yeah, there's no more debate about that. And there's more to it than just the random goal he'll get every once yes. in a while. I mean, Mark andre Fleury's having Ian Cole nightmares right now. but uh, <laughs> Of course you know, it would be Reeves and Cole, right? <laughs> I know. The, the people that finally opened the floodgates. But, uh, you're right. Uh, Fred, he just he looks mad, doesn't he? I think he looks angry. I think he looks like a guy that doesn't want to relinquish his spot in the lineup. 
Uh, I don't see anything that Matt Hunwick has done in his time recently that would, that would allow him to usurp Ian Cole. He's been great on the penalty kill. I think the way he sacrifices his body and the way he finds shooting lanes, you know, that's the thing, Adam, blocking shots, right? It, it, it seems so easy, but a lot of it, too, is just being about finding the lane and knowing where the lane is and being cognizant of it because the puck moves so quickly when you're shorthanded sometimes that if you're not in the right spot, you don't even have the opportunity to block a shot. So his assignments have been good. His gap control has been good. He's been very aggressive. I think the whole – you know, Mike, Mike Sullivan's phrase, um, you know, at least recently anyway, for defensemen uh, has been to play within striking distance. Uh, I think that's true for both ends of the ice. So you want to keep a good gap in the defensive zone, uh, force these guys to dump the puck in, and then on the offensive side, take a chance or two and attack. And I think that's exactly what he's done. So he's responded well to the, to the scratching, and I, I don't think there's any reason to take him out again for the rest of the year. Jamie Alexiak's always playing close to people because he's got a long reach. This dude, man, what a find. And, and the way he's been able to play has been very impressive to me. The way that he can skate has been very impressive to me. I, I don't really have a question there. More of just <laughs> awe over Jamie Alexiak. I, I wonder when how much longer this can go on. I mean, that you, you, Justin Schultz. There were, there were tons of in Toronto, Adam, that said Justin Schultz was the worst defenseman in the National Hockey League uh, when they made that trade. Uh, Trevor Daly in Chicago had, it looked like a guy that had absolutely no idea what was going on. Now, granted, <laughs> they were playing him out of position. That go, there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, let's not undersell how bad Jamie Oleksiak was in Dallas because I'll tell you right now, he's their worst defenseman. He was horrible. Uh, when, the, when he was on the ice, the puck was in the Dallas end. And those forwards he, were going to, he was going against were racking up scoring chances. They were racking up goals. Uh, I, you mentioned the fact that he can skate, and I think that's the important piece to this because Ken Hitchcock, uh, you know, let's, let's be frank. Nobody wants to watch Ken Hitchcock coach. It's boring, right? He's a boring coach. He loves defense. He's a Mike Johnston-type guy. Uh, and I think that when you restrict a player like Jamie Alexia and you say, here's what you have to do, and if you do something else, if you deviate from this plan, you're not going to play. Uh, part of that uh, directive he had in Dallas was we don't want you skating the puck. We want to box you in. We want you to be a big crease-clearing defenseman. Now, his frame certainly lends itself to that, right? I mean, the guy's huge. There's a reason his nickname's Big Rig. You would think that that, that would be something he's excellent, excels at. Uh, but there's so much more he can do. And why would you take a defenseman like that and put him in a box and say, we don't want you to be creative. Uh, we don't want you to take chances. We don't want you to provide anywhere but in a specific area. Uh, it didn't work. It wasn't working. Uh, he was a guy that was, to Ian, even Ian Cole was in a similar situation in St. Louis. Uh, he was kind of in and out of the lineup at the same time. You know, one mistake and you're out. So uh, I think the freedom to come to Pittsburgh and to do the things that he likes to do, to do the things he wants to do, uh, have helped him to refine his game. Uh, and make no mistake about it, he's been very good for the Penguins. Then a mixed bag, and there's nights where, you know, he struggles a little bit. Even his nights where he struggles, I wouldn't say, are outright bad outings. So, diamond in the rough again. I just, I wonder how many more times the Penguins can just keep finding these maligned defensemen and completely resurrecting their careers and, and giving them nice paydays. Jesse, I want to get your thoughts on this, too. The Rangers putting out that message today, which I found to be very refreshing, but also, I mean, it just has to be gutting for Rangers fans because they came so close for a couple of years, and now that era is dead. Yeah, it's over. And um, you, you had one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League for 
you know, 10, 12 you know, years and, and, and weren't able to, to achieve the ultimate goal with him. And it was that game last night. They played the, uh, the Bruins last night. Oh, game, it's brutal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And, and Lundqvist has now been hooked in three of the last five games he's played. Um, you know, I, 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 somebody joked on Twitter last night that the rivalry game on, on NA, uh, NHL on NBC was uh, Henrik Lundqvist versus his own defenseman. Uh, and that was the biggest <laughs> rivalry of the night. I agree with that. I, it's, a good, it's a time that they make this move. Um, but if you're a Rangers fan, how much do you trust Glenn Sater right now? That's the big question. Is that, that is you, I think if they're going to look at a rebuild, they also have to look at who is responsible for putting the team together that could not win. And the New York Rangers, Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, you go down the list of guys that they've acquired, the big, Rick Nash, the big free agent signing, or not free agents, but the big trades that they've made at the deadline, these moves that are going to put them over the top, right? And it'll come to fruition. And I think the question for them is, you know, do you keep Glenn Sazer in that position? Do you trust him to be the guy to lead the team into a rebuild? That's a great question. I will argue that there was definitely some bad luck at play there, too. I mean, Game so, 7 right. against Tampa, yeah. I mean, that stinks. Uh, and when you get to Game 7s, I mean, hey, that's the way it goes. And even in that Kings series, they had they were right there, too, and it just didn't work out their way. So it stinks. That's, that's kind of what life is like whenever you don't have Crosby's and Malkin's. Yes? the process of putting that team together a lot harder. Um, and you're right, the well dried up on them quite a bit uh, over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, some of the runs that they had, the, the, the goals just stopped coming. At the end of the day, they weren't yeah. getting the goals. Uh, and, but at the same time, too, uh, you, you can question whether or not the guys that they brought in were on. You know, we always talk about those ebbs and flows to the game. Uh, you know, we, there's data that will tell you where a guy is when you make a trade for him. Uh, and if you're trading for somebody that's, that's riding high and, and everything they touch turns to gold, somebody is going to come crashing down sooner or later. And the Rangers made a couple of deals where they went after guys who could do no wrong. And, and you know, a couple months later, all of a sudden, uh, they can't find the back of the net to save their lives. Jesse, thank you for pulling yourself up the mat, getting <laughs> yourself your back off the wall, and, and coming on the show today, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. There he goes, Jesse Marshall. Great dude. And my God, that insight. He's really good. Really damn good. So is Tim Benz. We'll hear from him coming up in the second segment. Truncated show today. Coming up next, the Olympics. I'm still in, even though NHL players aren't. It's the Crowley Show. Get up and join 970 Saturday mornings at 9 for Penn's Week. Oh, Michael, Michael Motorcycle. It's an inside look at the Pittsburgh Penguins that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside story on the Penguins. Listen, we got a good hockey team here, and, you know, we, we have people that we know we can win with. It's Penn's Week, Saturday mornings at 9. Oh, I just want to see it Exclusively on your home of the Penguins, ESPN Pittsburgh at 9.70 a.m. and now at 106.3 FM.